Hosea chapter 6. We're going to have a good time tonight. I am, um, as I was looking at our text, our Zechariah chapter 2, and we're looking at this city that's going to be built, and the angel comes with a measuring line and explains what's going on to, um, to Zechariah, we start to see in view not just Jerusalem in Palestine of that day, but we see into the future the Jerusalem of the millennium. And so I want to break some of that down for you, but as I was studying this, you can't, you can't see anything about the millennium without understanding that it's first necessary for Israel to turn to Christ. Is that right? So let's look at Hosea chapter 6. I want, to see, I want you to see a couple of things here. This is verses 1 through 3 give us the conversion of Israel. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us. He hath smitten and He will bind us up. How about that? Does that look like after the tribulation? He's smitten them. He's going to heal them. He's going to bind them up. Look at verse 2. After two days will He revive us. In the third day He will raise us up and we shall live in His sight. Remember what we've taught you about the third day? When you see the third day in the Bible, it's resurrection. Is this a good example of that? Look at Let's read that again. After two days will He revive us. In the third day He will raise us up and we shall live in His sight. Now, what is that talking about two days and then a third day? Well, this was written about 800 B.C., roughly 800 B.C. So if you're looking at 2,000 years, if, you know, 2 Peter 3.8, a day with the Lord is as 1,000 years. So you figure 3,000 years later, 2,800 years, that's roughly when God is going to be dealing with Israel this way. Um, we, you know. How many of you know that it's silly to place a date on the return of Christ? But the Bible speaks in these broad terms that are hard to ignore. They're hard to ignore. So, uh, you know, obviously, we're living in the last days. This earth is running down. You know, all these weather patterns that people are freaking out about and all of this. This earth is running down. There's no doubt about it. But then look at what it says in verse 3. Then shall we know... If we follow on to know the Lord, His going forth is prepared as the morning. Now look at this. And He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. The latter rain. How many of you know any Pentecostals, Charismatics? They believe the former rain was Acts chapter 2, and the latter rain began at the Azusa Street Revival, and so that was the coming of the Holy Spirit, and now they have signs and wonders. Well, let's just look at the Scriptures and see what the Bible says about this former and latter rain. What's it speaking of? Let's go to Joel, next book over, Joel chapter 2 and verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For He hath given you the former rain moderately, and He will cause to come down for you the rain the former rain and the latter rain, what's it say? In the first month. 
So the former rain and the latter rain are going to come at the same time in, in, in the first month of his return. Why? Why? Well, look at verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Look at verse 24. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. Look at the next verse. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. What does God do in the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation, He sends things through and destroys the land. A third of the green grass, a third of the trees, a third of the trees, all the green grass. The water is spoiled, blood, and, and it, the rivers are turned to blood, and He kills the, all of the beasts, a third of the beasts in the sea, right? And so God sends this latter rain, the former and the latter rain. And do you know what the former and the latter rain are? Do you know what they are? Their rain. People get so mystical with this stuff. He tells us exactly what it is. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Now remember the context of the book of James. The book of James, like the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrew Christians living in the shadow of the temple in the first century. The book of James is written to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, these these believing Jews. Now, after the return of Jesus Christ, during the tribulation period, Hebrews and James will become very important to these people. He, the book of, of James is all about having faith in tribulation. That, that's what it's all about. Now, look at James chapter uh, 5 and look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, does it say unto the rapture? Under the coming of the Lord. Why? Because these people are going through the tribulation period. Now, hear me well on this. Don't walk out of here saying, Pastor Jim said that the book of James is only for people in the tribulation. That's not what I've said. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Amen? We can learn all kinds of things about the Christian life, about being patient, about guarding our tongues, about a life that matches our faith. All of those things in the book of James. Amen? But I'm telling you what, in the tribulation period, do you think this is going to have some meaning? Let's see if we can get that. Verse 7 again. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. What's going on? There's a famine. Go, go, keep your place here. But go to uh, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, verse 6. Remember these two witnesses? Moses and Elijah. The reason we believe they're Moses and Elijah is because Jesus met with them on the Mount of Transfiguration. Talking about his decease and making plans. That's awesome. That is so cool. Look at verse 6. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. 
How long did Elijah stop it from raining? Let's see if we can find it. Go back to James chapter 5. Verse 17. Elias, that's the New Testament configuration of Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. It's interesting, when God's destroying the earth in the tribulation, He doesn't do it with the flood because He promised He wouldn't do that. He does just the opposite. He need, we need the latter rain. And can I show you where we mess up with common phrases from the Bible, misunderstanding them? Go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Look at verse 26. Oh, look at verse 25, just for the fun of it. Ezekiel 34, 25. This is wild. And I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land. And they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Why? Why? Keep your place there. Go to Revelation chapter 6. I just want you to know, when God says something, He means it. Um, for centuries, for centuries, people have looked at this stuff spiritually and not literally. And they've missed the meaning of the Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 6. Look at verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So now, after the, after the tribulation period, they've turned to Christ, back to Ezekiel 34. Look at verse 25 again. And I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods and I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing. And I will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. What are the showers of blessing about? They're the latter rain and the former rain. Amen? So let's go to Acts chapter 2 and let's just make sure that we understand what's going on. Acts chapter 2. All right, look at what it says in verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. So that pouring out of the Spirit, do you see that? That pouring out of the Spirit upon all flesh. This is what we have to get. I don't want you to miss this. In our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about when... Um, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being stoned and Jesus Christ was standing at the right hand of the Father. And he would have returned right then. And this Acts chapter 2, look at what it says. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now let me ask you something. Now, be, be, let's be real clear here. 
In Acts chapter 2, in verse 4, look at verse 3, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who did the Holy Spirit fall on? The church, the believers. Did the Spirit come upon all flesh there? No. No. So what's going on? Look at what it says in the middle of verse 17. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is talking about the salvation of Israel. They didn't turn to Him yet. That doesn't happen until we have it recorded. We've looked at it over and over and over again. Zechariah chapter 13. They turned to him. Hosea chapter 6. They turned to him. And all of these things accompany them turning to him. And those who come through all of that fire and through all of that blood and through all of that and turn to him, they're saved. They're saved. That's what's being spoken of. How do the charismatics mess this up so badly? This latter rain. Go to Joel chapter 2. He's saying, what in the world does this have to do with Zechariah? I'll show you. Joel 2 again. All right, so the former and the latter reign are in verse 23. Look at verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. So now this is the passage that is quoted in Acts chapter 2. This latter rain and former rain, it's a completely different subject than verse 28. You notice the paragraph mark before your sentence in verse 28? This is a different subject. This latter rain and former rain, that's not the Holy Spirit being poured out on the earth. That's rain. That's rain. And so this, this mystifying, this spiritualizing of the text, it makes for all kinds of bad interpretation of the Scriptures. Amen? So what does this have to do with our study in Zechariah? Okay, Zechariah chapter 2. The reason this becomes important, look with me in verse 1. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 1. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So what is he measuring, this measuring line in his hand? Well, we understand it's God saying he's going to rebuild Jerusalem, right? That's the context. But look at verse 4. And he said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. Now look, we understand immediately that this is not talking about the Jerusalem that Ezra and Nehemiah are talking about because they've come back to rebuild the walls. Is that right? Let's look. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3. 
The reason that we're taking the time to do this this evening um, is because when we read the Bible, and there's so much in the Bible about Jerusalem, amen? It's the most important city in the Bible. It's mentioned more than 300 times. Sometimes it's talking about Jerusalem that Israel was living in at that time. Sometimes it's talking about the Jerusalem in the millennium. And sometimes it's talking about the new Jerusalem that comes, out of heaven, comes down from God out of heaven. We need to understand the context. So look at Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity, they're left of the captivity there in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Why was he so upset? The walls of Jerusalem are gone. So he goes back to rebuild the walls. Sanballat and Tobiah, remember all that? Goes back to rebuild the walls. Well, this, go back to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. In Zechariah chapter 2, he is measuring out this city, and Jerusalem will be a city without walls, and we understand that God will be, uh, that he'll, he'll surround it with a flame of fire to protect it. So we immediately know that this is the Jerusalem in the millennium. Let's see if we can find anything out about this. Go with me to Jeremiah 31, this millennial Jerusalem. Jeremiah 31. Verse 38. And again, what I want you to notice is this is not mystical or allegorical or metaphorical language. All right? Look at what it says. Behold, the days come. Does that say that this, this is going to be like a day? No. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built, and make sure that you mark this, to the Lord. From the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner. So that's the size. Those are the, the borders. And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill of Gareb and shall compass about to Goath. All right? So th th those markers don't mean much to us, but those people knew exactly what that, how big the city would be. They, they knew exactly where the city was going to go to. So how big is this? Do we get actual dimensions? How do we know? Go to Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. Ezekiel 48, verse 35. Um, look at uh, verse 30. And these are the goings out of the city on the north side, 4,500 measures. And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel. Three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi. And at the east side, 4,500 and three gates. One gate of Joseph, one gate of Benjamin, one gate of Dan. And at the south side, 4,500 measures and three gates. One gate of Simeon, one gate of Issachar, one gate of Zebulun. At the west side, 4,500 with their three gates. One gate of Gad, 
one gate of Asher, one gate of Naphtali. It was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. Is that awesome? And what did the Bible say in Zechariah? That the glory of the Lord will be in the midst of it. The Lord is there. This is the millennial city. And it's 18,000 measures. And in this city, we're not going to take the time to read the whole thing. Ezekiel chapters 40 through 46, Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne in the temple. There in Jerusalem. Six chapters about that. This Jerusalem, this millennial Jerusalem. How large is it? That 18,000 measures, that's five miles around. All right? That tells us the size of that. It's five miles around. So that we have the Jerusalem that we would see today. And, of course, that Jerusalem has sprawled out much farther than the city walls. Those city walls are Turkish walls. They're... Um, they're crusaders' walls. They're not the walls that would have been built under Nehemiah. Those were, all those walls were destroyed in uh, 70 A.D. under Titus. All right? So now, let's go to Revelation. So this, this right here, this city without walls, this is clearly the millennial Jerusalem that will be rebuilt after the tribulation, after the times of refreshing from the Lord. Those showers of blessing that bring about this new city in the millennium. So now, let's look at the new Jerusalem. Let's not confuse this Jerusalem with the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21. I'll ask you a question. And to me, this is how I study. Why would this be this way? And so I spend my time searching through the Scriptures to try to find the answers. And I know many of you are the same way. Um, think about this. In the millennium, there's a temple. And Jesus Christ is sitting on His throne in the temple. Why is there a temple in the millennium? Because there's still sin. Why does He have to rule with a rod of iron? Because there's still sin. These are those sheep and goat nations that they've treated Israel well, so they're allowed to go into the kingdom. They're not saved, but they go into the kingdom. They're going to they're gonna die. The Bible says a baby, a man will live 100 years and it'll be a baby. But they're still going to die. They've got to be, once they go into the millennium, they still have to trust in Jesus Christ. They have to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrifice will be made, but the king will be there in the, in the temple. The Bible talks about, let's go up to Jerusalem and sacrifice to our God. Right? That's what's going on in the millennium. Go with me to Revelation 21. Notice what it says. Verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Why is there no more sea? It's interesting. We're not going to take time to do it all tonight. But you might want to just study that out. And there was no more sea. Why, why is there no more sea? It's a good question, isn't it? Why is there no more sea? This isn't answering that, but go to Hebrews chapter 12. How many of you want me to answer that? <laughs> oh, you're thinking we'll never get out of here tonight. Don't worry, I won't go there. Hebrews chapter 12. 
Look at verse 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. How about that? Look at verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifying the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So what's he doing? This whole everything. Not only the earth is going to be shaken, and the Bible talks about that through the tribulation, but not only is this earth going to be shaken, but the heaven's going to be shaken. Go to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. New heavens and a new earth. But the day of the Lord, this is verse 10, 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, look at this, Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Well, why do we have to have a new heaven and a new earth for that? Because the Bible makes it clear. We're not going to take the time to go there. But in Leviticus, the reason that Canaan was corrupted was because of the evil people that lived there. And so it had to be destroyed. Heaven has been corrupted by Satan and the, the, the fallen angels. You know, Satan would appear before God in heaven. It's been corrupted by sin. So now God wants a place where there is no sin at all. Look at Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65. Look at verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Isn't that great? That's, in the, that's all the way back in the book of Isaiah. And what's interesting about the Old Testament prophets, y'all focus in on this for a minute. I want you to get this. This is really interesting. The Old Testament prophets say very little about eternity. They just talk about the, the kingdom. They talk about the millennial rest. The, the idea of an eternity that comes after the millennium or after the reign of the Messiah that's not really mentioned much in the Old Testament prophets. The New Testament gives us much more about that. But we have hints of it. Look at uh, chapter 34 and verse 4. Still in Isaiah. I hope you understood that. See if this sounds anything like uh, what we just read. Isaiah 34, 4. 
and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. How about that? Heavens are going to be destroyed. This new Jerusalem is going to come down. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Coming down from God out of heaven. Look at verse 5 there. This is always interesting. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. My sword shall be bathed in heaven. What God is going to do, Jesus Christ is going to fight with His sword those evil spirits that are in the heavens and He'll bathe His sword in the heavens. He's going to burn them. He's going to roll them up. Those hosts are going to fall after God destroys them as He returns. That's a wild thing right there. All right, go back with me to Revelation chapter 21. So what is this new heaven and this new earth going to be like? But what, And specifically this new Jerusalem. Look at verse 2, Revelation 21, 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Go with me to... How do we tell the difference between this new Jerusalem and the millennial Jerusalem? Uh, well, we know that it's not Zechariah 12 or Zechariah 2.4, the Jerusalem, the city without walls. We know that's not the new Jerusalem because look at verse 12, Revelation 21.12. And had a wall great and high. See that? This new Jerusalem has a wall great and high. The millennial Jerusalem doesn't have. It's a city without walls. So these are two different things. It's important to understand these distinctions. Look at verse 15. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. There's that wall again. And the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. 12,000 furlongs. And then look at verse... Let me just 12,000 furlongs. That's 1,500 miles square. It's not five miles. It's 1,500 miles square. So think about that. That's Miami, Florida to Montreal. That's, I think, New York or Rhode Island all the way to Denver. That's this new Jerusalem. Now imagine that coming down into the Holy Land. <laughs> is that awesome? I think that is just, I love that. Now, don't miss this. Now, the New Jerusalem, or the, the, the Millennial Jerusalem being five miles, that's not the Holy Land. We talked about the Holy Land goes from the southern part of Turkey all the way in, in the north, all the way in the west to Cyprus, and that direction in the south, all the way down to Syria, or to Saudi Arabia, and in the, the east, all the way over to, to Syria. So that's the Holy Land. And then Jerusalem, right in the middle of it, going to go up to Jerusalem. But now, here's, here, let me, again, don't, don't miss this. This is 1,500 miles square. That's different than the millennial Jerusalem. And then here's another difference. Look at verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Isn't that awesome? Why isn't there a temple? There's no more sin. Look at the next verse. And the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. 
And here's, here's what's wonderful for us. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what do we have? We have Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem that's there today. We have the millennial Jerusalem that will have no walls. And we have the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, from God, out of heaven. Amen? And I'll tell you what, isn't it amazing how the Bible clears up a lot of people's doctrine? And it's all connected. It's all connected. I hope that you'll just love this book. hope you'll love this word. You all learn anything tonight? Did that help you? Jerusalem, it's so important. The city of God. The Bible's a tale of two cities. City of God, Jerusalem. City of Satan, Babylon. And what did God tell them to do in the book of Zechariah, chapter 2? Come out of the daughters of Babylon. Come out of there. Come out of there. You know, God's still calling us out of the world. And through the tribulation period, God will really call them out of that Babylonian mystery religion, that harlot that rides on many waters, sits on many waters. We'll see that in another message. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.